House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and today I'm your host, Al Warren. Our guest is the uh, um, prosecuting attorney of, uh, of course, the Stephen Avery and Brandon Dassey case of making a murderer fame. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad you took the time to join me. So, Ken Kratz, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for having me this afternoon, Alan. Um, yeah, um, wow. Uh, you know, I, how do we begin? Uh, so much has happened. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I, from an outside point of view looking in, I'm sort of surprised on the way um, things have happened for you. Um, for, first of all... Um, you wrote a book, and I've, uh, the first version, and I've listened to it all, and um, I think you did quite well with it. But it sure, you're sure causing a lot of problems with it, and uh, you've got a new. <laughs> well, I know you've got a new version coming out, and you've got a couple extra chapters, and I think that responds to uh, uh, the making of Murderer Two. Um, wow! So, why do you think there's such a backlash towards you? That's a great question, Alan. It's a, from my perspective, it's it's just a matter of math. Um, you know, forty million people watched Making a Murderer at the time. It was the largest and most watched streaming entertainment event of all time. It's only been eclipsed, as I understand, by by the Netflix show Bird Box since that. But um, up to that time, you know, that's the most people that had ever had ever watched something. Certainly the filmmakers never expected that kind of a response. Netflix never expected uh, never expected that kind of a response. But when you have 40 million people being showed one side of a case and not even the side, Alan, that was showed to the jury, in other words, making a murderer uh, presented a, a alternate version of the evidence, an alternate version of the facts. Uh, I've been highly critical that uh, that the filmmakers omitted very important evidence that showed uh, Stephen Avery was, uh, was guilty um, uh, of this crime. But when you have 40 million people being told that uh, cops, as an example, planted evidence or that there was a, a purple-topped tube of blood in the clerk's office and having one of the lawyers recorded on, on the TV show saying, um, you know, that, that's what proves that they took that blood and that they, and that they planted evidence. Um, it's, it's, it's awfully hard to, uh, to overcome that kind of narrative. The, the truth, of course, Alan, is the, the, the famous purple top tube that Attorney Jerry Buting refused, um, or excuse me, uh, refers to, um, had a hole in the top of it. And, and of course, uh, you recall, I'm sure, if, mm-hmm. if you, like everybody else, uh, saw that as the smoking gun. That's the thing that that proved, if you will, that the cops um, tampered with the uh, the vile blood and that the cops planted evidence and, and went a long way towards uh, uh, Sergeant Colburn and Lieutenant Link uh, being um, really, really pointedly um, 
criticized for not only the investigation but the the takeaway, the conclusion was that they chose to set up an innocent man um, for murder and, and and to go to prison. The question I would ask Alan is, what happens when it becomes proved that the purple top tube was not sketchy at all? What happens when when Jerry Buting, as an example, got a written sworn statement from a nurse named Marlene Kranitz that said, I'm the one that put the hole in the purple top tube. That's how blood gets into a, a vacutainer, a purple top tube. That makes sense. And so when Jerry Buting got that written statement before the trial, Alan, he had that information before the trial. He knew that the, uh, that the tube wasn't uh, tampered with. He knew that that evidence uh, and the blood that was inside of it was not used to plant uh, any blood. In fact, we had disproved that at trial by the FBI when they proved that there was no preservative, which is called EDTA, in the blood stains inside the RAV4, yet the purple top tube was chucked full of EDTA. So that uh, scientifically proved that. But, but, but beyond that, the fact that the lawyers knew that the cops didn't plant any evidence, the fact that the filmmakers knew that these two honest, really uh, impeccably um, uh, seasoned officers with with no history of of any misconduct, with no history of any kind of discipline. Um, uh, you made 40 million people believe that they were crooks, that these guys were willing to um, uh, to to uh, to frame uh, an innocent man. The results, of course, um, that maybe your 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 listeners don't even know, were that uh, Sergeant Colburn uh, was completely trashed by worldwide people. Every day he got death threats. Still does. Still does to this day. Every day he was uh, uh, called crooked. Every day his reputation was tarnished more and more and more publicly and publicly and even after even after making murder was released even after people like Jerry Buting and 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 uh, Laura Riccardi and 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 Moira D. Ross for the the, the the film even though they they knew it was a lie they continued to perpetrate that myth they continued to push their narrative that the cops planted evidence to get these guys convicted well when it's proven when it's proven beyond all doubt that that didn't happen, when it's proven beyond all doubt that these filmmakers lied, that they made up um, these things, that from a documentary, if they couldn't call it that, um, uh, they do things like splicing uh, testimony into into uh, in, in, into court exchanges so that they can fool the audience into thinking something else was said. Um, these are the kinds of, of editing techniques that uh, up until uh, 2015 would never have been um, sanctioned or never have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, unscrutinized, I guess is the best term, by the documentary film industry or anybody else that's that, that cares about this kind of thing. But not only were these filmmakers not taken to task for that, Alan, not only were these filmmakers not criticized for what's been proven to be um, 
splicing or what's been proven to be a, a presenting a false narrative, they were given four Emmy Awards for this, including one for editing. Well, when that happens and you're at the receiving end of this vitriol and you're at the receiving end of these lies that uh, that make the villains that were cast in making a murderer seem like crooks when makes the the prosecution and 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 law enforcement uh, seem like they targeted an innocent man uh, when when 40 million people believe that's the case and then you have uh, the former prosecutor who um, by that time had already been um, you know resoundingly criticized uh, when he puts out a book and 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 there's this concerted effort to give it one star reviews on Amazon and so nobody reads the book but but they they pan it they trash it and 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 all these uh, these these uh, misconceptions and mistruths are allowed to perpetuate yeah, um, yeah. it gets uh, it gets very, it gets very frustrating and so when I when I present things like unedited clips or when I present things like well here's what the jury got to see. I don't really want to try to convince anybody who's that entrenched in in what they think, but I do want them to know that there's another side. There's a whole side that you haven't seen. In fact, uh, perhaps importantly to some of your listeners, it was the version, it was the evidence that the jury got to see. Uh, it wasn't edited. It wasn't uh, uh, created for television. Uh, it was presented uh, at trial in both trials, uh, which resulted in both of these guys being convicted for first-degree intentional homicide. So hopefully somebody in your audience will pause and say, well, that makes sense. If we were fooled, if 40 million people were fooled by these filmmakers, we probably want to be told that. It's okay that that we're shown um, how we were fooled. But, but, but what happens, Alan, and, and you may know this, people get so defensive when they have already taken a position when they've already very very publicly announced that we support Stephen Avery or we we support the version that was presented to us in this uh, 10-hour docu-series it's hard thereafter to admit that wait a second uh, we were fooled we were told things that never happened they they led us down this path and 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 you know you've got to raise your hand and say look I'm guilty I I thought uh, I thought Ken Kratz was uh, was a was a creeper or uh, or a jerk or uh, a person who didn't have this kind of evidence or, or whatever they they wanted to cast me as. Uh, but but I guess more importantly, the the two cops that were involved. Uh, when you come away thinking that they were uh, crooked or sketchy or any of that kind of stuff, it was only because that's exactly what the filmmakers wanted you to see. These are people that have had very real impact by this uh, TV show. It's ruined the lives of at least those two cops. Mine, I lost my law firm directly because of of making murder. All these consequences on these people that were involved in the case 14 years ago that at the time um, was uh, uh, described as a, a highly competent and a very well-litigated uh, major case in the United States uh, but that uh, that script obviously has been flipped since 2015. My job, hopefully, is to put things out there that show there's another side. Everybody, please take a look at this other side before you uh, jump to too many conclusions. And at the very least, 
um, give people a chance to make a decision for themselves what really happened. Yeah, and, and that's sort of the reasoning behind me putting you on the show. Because uh, first off, um, when I watched uh, Making a Murderer, um, I came away with the feeling um, that you, as well as the cops that mm-hmm. they displayed, and Fassbender mm-hmm. and all that, were really kind of um, not very nice people, um, kind of well, evil. Well, of course. <laughs> on, and, well, and kind of, of evil. Course. And kind of. Hey, like, I'd hate me too if I believed what was on there. <laughs> yeah, and and I had that feeling. So so um, you yeah, know, yeah. it's not unusual. But okay. in, go, going through your book, um, first mm-hmm. of all, I've had twelve books published, so I I know what a book is, and I uh-huh. I, I listened to your book, and um, I kind of thought, well, it, it it displayed a lot of evidence, quite quite honestly, that. Uh, people need to look at and it really disturbs me when I when I, <laughs> I was looking at the reviews and you have like hundreds yeah. of, of terrible reviews and it's more about you in person than the, the actual book so I, I, don't, I don't know if they didn't sure. read it or bought it just to slam you I don't know um, oh no 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 there's all hey Alan 79 of those one star um, reviews came out before the book was even, you know, where they even could have read the book. So uh, Amazon, by the way, we contacted them. They knew that they were fake reviews, mm-hmm. uh, but they said, you know, we, we don't take off, you know, fake reviews just because they're trying to impact uh, sales, which, uh, which as an aside, and we're not going to get political, yeah. but as an aside, you know, there's a, there's a woman named uh, Hillary Clinton that, that wrote a book and the Amazon, um, same thing happened to her. All the one-star reviews, check this for yourself, Alan. All the one-star reviews Amazon removed because they said, well, these can't be real because these people couldn't have read the book. Well, all of a sudden, I guess their their position about cleaning up the fake reviews uh, is applied to somebody like uh, Mrs. Clinton. But, but when it's very clear, in fact, they admit it, they know that these are fake reviews to pan my book. Uh, they refuse to... Uh, to address that issue on their own site, and I think that's um, not surprising, but I think it's it's at least something your your readers should know. The, the people that have read the book uh, believe it's easy to read. It's well written. It's got a lot of pictures. It's got a lot of evidence. It's got a lot of things very clearly step by step to show you what the jury saw. And then I invite people to decide for themselves. In fact, you may recall in the first chapter, I say, don't believe a word I have to say. Yeah. This is all evidence that is that is there that I'm asking you to, uh, uh, to, to consider yourselves. And, and I still hope, and especially now, Alan, now that things have uh, at least settled down and at least a little bit of people's common sense seems to have returned to them, uh, hopefully it'll it'll get a read. It's a it's a cheaper book than the hardcover. It's really not something that if you spent that much time, if you spent that much time investigating and looking into this case, you know why you wouldn't spend another um, couple of hours uh, to uh, to go through this book that's got the other side is uh, uh, you know it's uh, it, it, it's a shame at least in, in in my perspective. But I'm. But I'm biased because I know the whole story and I know what it is that uh, that making a murderer never showed these people. 
So, well, it's a conspiracy-based country right now, and even politically as well as not. It doesn't matter what side you're on. Um, so when you have that going on, how are you going to get people to go get over that hump? Because right now they think that um, you're in on it, and, the, and those um, detectives yeah. were in on it because they were trying to get out of the $40 million lawsuit or whatever that Avery had been put away, yeah. you know, wrongly for, for some of a crime. And I, so when you have that, sure. automatically they're looking at you as you're the bad guy. You guys are the ones with the black hat. Right. In in the cowboy, uh, so what? And what, so and you know, yeah. And so so, so, so let me just ask a couple of uh, uh, you know obvious questions. Who made them think that? I mean, it wasn't the it wasn't at the time of the trial. At the time of the trial, these guys were guilty. All the people from Wisconsin who got to watch this case in real time, you know, it was on uh, it was on you know wall to wall coverage on the seven hour or excuse me this. Uh, the seven-week trial, uh, they could watch the whole thing, and, and, and Wisconsin residents were convinced after watching and you know, seeing all the evidence that the jury in both cases uh, made the uh, made the correct decision. Every court that's looked at the appeal, whether it's been a post-conviction uh, uh, circuit court uh, review or appellate court review, whether it's state court or even federal court, every court at every stage has upheld these convictions. So you got to ask yourself, Alan, what don't we know? What haven't we been showed? Somebody thinks these guys are guilty, the jurors, the courts, the, um, you know, the, the, the prosecution, everybody that sat through the trial. So, so what haven't we been shown? And that's my point, Alan, is that if there's that many people contemporaneous to when it happened, in other words, at the time that this was presented, uh, if, if, if it was almost universal belief that justice had been done, and then it was only this film, you know, uh, more than 10 years after the fact that, um, that threw shade on, uh, on this particular case because of the agenda of, of the filmmakers, which is pretty clear, um, isn't that something that, uh, that you want to look into some more? And I, and, and like I said, I hope, uh, I hope, hope listeners, at least to this show and, and, and others will, will look at that. But you asked how I'm going to get over it. How am I going to get over the, 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 the negative at- attachment, the ad hominem uh, attacks on me? It's, it's but cracks, but cracks. He did this and he did this. So, so we can't believe any, anything, uh, he says despite it just being <laughs> a presentation of the evidence as it, as it happened. And it's not going to be from me, Alan. I can't repair my reputation. I can't. I can't tell people, but you know, shake my fist at the sky and say, "But, but you haven't read everything. You don't know this. That's not going to do me any good." It's going to take people like you. It's going to take people uh, like your listeners. It's going to take. It's going to take a, 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 a tipping point to occur, where uh, the Netflix viewers finally realize, "Hey, something something screwy happened." Something terrible happened to these cops. They really were uh, unfairly um, impacted. Their whole lives were unfairly impacted because of this. This shouldn't happen. It'll get people to to take a fresh look at it and 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 look look at the evidence not through the eyes of you know um, we think Ken Kratz is horrible or deserves to you know 
be killed, which is most of the things that you see on, on the internet. But yeah. but with fresh eyes, that you know, I'm willing to look at the evidence uh, critically, critical thinkers, and and uh, after that critical review, then they can decide for themselves. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully uh, others will uh, uh, will change their minds. I'll tell you what, though, Alan, I'm up against. Uh, up against it here. Nobody wants to believe they're fooled. Nobody wants to believe my side of the story. Everybody wants to think that this poor kid, Brendan Dassey, should get out. You know, he's got big hitters like uh, Kim Kardashian and and others who have publicly now come out uh, supporting them. You know, I've got, uh, you know, what, eight followers on Twitter? It's an exaggeration. <laughs> uh, against, against Kardashian, 62 million. Well, well, you know, it's it's going to get drowned out, and 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 you'll never even be heard. It's not even going to be a blip on the screen. So it's going to take it's going to take somebody other than me. In fact, a lot of somebody's other than me uh, to at least say, just take a look at the other side before you sign a petition, or just take a look at the other side before you get too excited about jumping on this bandwagon. Because if you do that, and it's pretty clear that both of them. Uh, were properly convicted. Yeah, uh, you know, I, um, I I will say that too because um, the backlash I'll get from this show is going to be incredible. Um, Good. And, and there's people that well, <laughs> welcome to, welcome well, to my word, Alan. Well, it's I, welcome I, to my world. Yeah. I'm, it's it, but being being in the public like that, uh, it's up and down like a yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get slammed yeah, and then I'll right. get you know. Um, so that's fine. Uh, and like I said, there's other hosts that wouldn't even. Um, jump in on the show so there's people worried about their reputation i'm not yeah um and now but do, do, you th- do you well you know do you think that the people that made the documentary had it in mind to do this like what what do you think they were doing by showing kind of well, one sure. side sure no no sure sure when when the filmmakers when these two they were film students at the time. When the two film students from Columbia um, University uh, asked Dean String and Jerry Buting if they could join the team, if they could embed themselves with the defense team, be able to kind of shoot things in real time or strategy sessions or when they found things out, if they could report them. Uh, all of their objectivity was taken from them. They had no objectivity anymore. They became a an investigative arm of the defense team. And I said that, that uh, before uh, the case uh, uh, concluded, I I said, you know, if you're going to be an investigative arm of the defense, then we're entitled to see your footage. We'd like to see what it is that you've been sharing with uh, with Mr. Strang and Mr. Buting from things that you've individually found out, the things that you haven't shared with the defense. As an example... Um, it's well known that the two filmmakers knew of the existence of this uh, vial of blood in the clerk of court's office um, into the summer of 2006, yet the state wasn't told about it by the defense, or certainly not ever by the filmmakers, uh, until December of 06. Well, that's five months that they all knew about the this vial of blood and, and didn't tell us why, because they didn't want us to be able to test it. They didn't want us to be able to disprove that this was not the blood that was used. So Strang and Buting um, rolled the dice and hoped that that late disclosure of that evidence would make it impossible for us to 
send the evidence in and to have it tested in time. Uh, and they were almost right. But uh, what most of your viewers don't know is that the FBI, in February of 2007, they closed their FBI lab. The FBI closed the lab for three weeks to handle one case. And the one case that the FBI handled was the Avery case. The FBI closed the lab to develop a protocol for the testing of EDTA, that's the preservative uh, that's, that's found in there. You may recall back to the O.J. Simpson case, that was the first time that this EDTA concept was brought up and that if there was a planting defense, you could look at the blood. You could look at the blood that was actually recovered and said, does it have EDTA in it? It's a preservative that's in every purple top tube, so if you get blood from any of those tubes, you're going to find EDTA. And so when it's not there, uh, it is a, a powerful piece of evidence because the protocol hadn't been developed um, correctly enough or or, or um, carefully enough back during the OJ case. The results were not allowed into evidence, and so uh, it didn't work. But what happened in the interim, what happened between the, um, uh, you know, the, the OJ case and the, um, and the Avery case was that um, the uh, crime lab in the FBI was, uh, was developing a protocol, a, a how do you test for EDTA? And so that entire three-week time period, there was a head of the lab at the time. His name was Mark LeBeau. He developed the, the protocol for testing EDTA, and the entire lab was dedicated uh, to developing this test and then testing it. And, in fact, they were able to find uh, that this uh, the blood that was recovered had no EDTA in it, and that the as I said before that the the vial was chuck full of it. So we were able to present that at trial. We got the results like one or two days before we were going to uh, rest our case, and I presented that evidence uh, very near the end of my case in chief, so that the jury got to hear that this planting nonsense never happened, that this was made up. Uh, by the defense, and of course the jury heard that, and 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 we blew the defense out of the water just with that, with that, uh, with that evidence. But uh, it goes well beyond that. That after the fact, uh, the filmmakers again, knowing that that was false information and presenting it anyway, and that's the kind of thing that I don't know. If I was watching a docudrama and deciding should I believe this, uh, all of the places that they misrepresented all the places that they spliced in uh, words that were never there in in real life when they uh, when they splice in an answer in that famous uh, don't you think it's suspicious when uh, when Andy Colburn is being questioned by uh, by uh, Dean Strang about the uh, the license plates and when the license plates are called in and and he said well you know don't you think that looks suspicious and Andy kind of reluctantly you know uh, uh, admits, yeah, it looks suspicious, and then the, the music comes in, well, you shouldn't have been looking at it, and Andy says, well, you know, I wasn't the thing, you know, the, the big dramatic music, well, what, what, your, what your viewers, I'm sure, don't know, Alan, is the answer, the yes answer, never happened in real life. In real life, I objected to the question, in real life, uh, the court never allowed that question to be answered, but in making a murderer, you see him answering yes. You see him saying yes, it was suspicious. Well, where does that come from, Alan? Where mm -hmm. it comes from is it's harvested 
the answers harvested from another part of the interview or, or the interrogation uh, in trial, and it's spliced in as if that was really his answer. Well, what the hell is that, Alan? Yeah. Who, what documentary, if you can call it that, gets away with that? What documentary splices in an answer that never happened in real life? And then when they're called on it, then when they're called on it, they say, oh, well, we never said it was true. We said that this was just for entertainment purposes. Well, well, my goodness, that, that certainly changes things, doesn't it? Well, it sounds like Alex Jones. Not, well, it's just, it's so deceptive. Yeah. And to not, to not at least tell these people, this never happened, by the way, in real life. What we're showing you is made up for TV. What we're showing you, here's the sad part, is made up to look, make this man look sketchy. To make this cop, who's a good, honest cop, who couldn't lie about anything, we splice this in there to make him look guilty. And the impact that it has on him later, what the hell with that? We don't care that forever he's going to be known as a crooked cop. We got good ratings. And because we spliced that and put that together, and it was very dramatic, um, you know, we became the uh, the biggest viewed show of all time. Now, after the fact, after Netflix now knows that that's a lie, after Netflix knows that they spliced that in, how come that hasn't been changed, Alan? How come that hasn't been fixed? How come they haven't gone back and either taken this out of the documentary genre, or why haven't they issued a retraction or an apology or what's happened as a result uh, of of their not even carelessness of their intentional misrepresentation you know you know i watched uh, i watched game of thrones and there was a, a i don't know a, a cup some kind of a some kind of a, a coffee cup or something that ends up in the <laughs> shot by the next time it was shown alan it was fixed yeah well, well netflix has had four <laughs> netflix has had four years why the hell isn't this fixed? You know that it's a lie. You keep perpetrating it. And when somebody like Andy Colburn sues you for defamation, when he says that you're intentionally making me look sketchy for your ratings and to my detriment, when he sues you, you've got, you've got the guts to act surprised about that. You've got the guts to say, well, we can't be sued for defamation. Because we've got all kinds of protections. You may see that all the time with these big media companies not being able to be sued for defamation and because they get to say whatever whatever they want usually about people. It's got to change. Might have to change out there in L.A. Might have to change with the documentary <laughs> film industry. Who doesn't, who doesn't reward this kind of nonsense? Who doesn't say, I understand you edited this beyond all recognition for what really happened. Let's not give them an Emmy for editing. How's that for a start? You know, that's mm. just my, my personal opinion, of course, uh, yeah. Alan. So oh, hopefully, hopefully this and other, well, yeah, hopefully yeah. this and other shows, uh, will at least, at least start the conversation. Is there a line that needs to be drawn if you call it a documentary? How about the line is you don't get to splice things in to make it look like something happened that didn't really happen? That seems like an easy line to draw, and that's, I think, where we should start with uh, the intentional misrepresentation to audiences. That's got to be curtailed, and I think it's got to be addressed, and this is the time 
for people to talk about that because it was as blatant as it could ever be right here now. Yeah. Now, now one of the other big things that people complain about um, is the um, confession from Dassey. And a lot of people say he's intellectually disabled and he was he was, mm-hmm. should have never been in alone. And even if he didn't uh, request or ask for someone else to be in the room with him and the cop, uh, there should have been someone put in there by the police to to make yeah. sure you know all this stuff. So you hear all of that kind of stuff going on. How about well? I mean, you know, mom, Alan, was that? No, 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 no Alan, that's Alan, true. Alan, this is a, yeah. is it, no, this is a serious question. Answer. Yeah. Uh, if his mom sat sat through that March first interview, let's say she sat through the entire interview, would that have alleviated the concerns? of all the people who are clamoring that there should have been a lawyer or a parent present. Well, you'd think the answer would be yes, right? You'd think that that would be good enough um, if that came. And so when Barb Yonda, the mom of Brendan Dassey, at Brendan's post-conviction hearing was asked, well, weren't you invited to sit through every one of these interviews? And when Barb Yonda testified under oath, yes. Yes, I was asked to sit through them all by the cops. I was the one who rejected that. I was the one who said, interview him alone. I don't want to be in there while he's being interviewed. Well, isn't that what they wanted, to at least give the parent an option to sit through, which Barb Yonda was given? How many people know that, Alan? How many many people know that Barb Yonda herself chose not to sit through those interviews? Of the six times he's interviewed, five of the times, I believe, uh, a parent was uh, requested to or invited to sit through. You know, one of the other times, uh, a lawyer was invited <laughs> to sit through. And so the fact that that didn't happen, whether it's by his own lawyer or by his own parent, I'm not sure how the state of Wisconsin then is criticized for this kid making a statement. Here's the other important thing, though. On March 1st, Brendan Dassey was not a suspect. This was a witness interview, like any other child witness interview. And if you've ever seen them being conducted, the whole beginning of those kind of child witness interviews, when kids have seen something that is disturbing or traumatizing or hard to describe, certain things are said to kids to get them to talk, okay? It's called rapport building, at least in the, in the protocols for, for, um, uh, for interviewing child witnesses. But in rapport building, here's the things you say to kids. You say to them, it's okay. We already know what happened. You say to kids in the rapport building start of a child interview, um, your mom uh, encouraged you to, to be honest. We hope that you're going to be honest with us. Um, I know what you're saying is I know what you've seen is traumatic. I know what you've seen. Uh, you might have to use bad words or bad language. But we've heard it all before, Brendan. Okay? So those are the kind of assurances that are made to him. At 11.45 in the morning, all right, about 45 minutes after the interview starts, Brendan makes his first admission. For the first time, Brendan moves from a witness, the traumatized witness, if not a victim himself of what happened, to a suspect. He places himself there when he admits that he raped Teresa Hollock. Okay? 
So up until that time, these cops had no idea that Brendan Dassey himself was involved. How do we know that? Because I know, because I set up that interview, because I talked to the cops before that interview, because I told the cops, make sure you're in a soft room and that it's gentle and that it's recorded, because it's going to be a child witness interview that someday might have to be used. What he saw was probably horrific, whether it was on the fire or in the garage or anywhere else. And so the fact that um, that there's this this perception out there that the cops wanted him to just say what they wanted to hear, well, that's foolish because the cops had no idea what was going to come out of his mouth. The cops had no idea that he was involved. They had, you know, they were looking for what have you seen to implicate um, um, Stephen Avery. Tell us the truth about what you saw and only the truth because that's the only thing that's, that, that's going to help us. Well, when he admitted that he himself was involved in the crime, um, what did you expect to have happened right then? Well, the cops then said, well, tell us all about that. The cops then changed. You'll see on, there's a, a, a new series of videos that I posted um, on the Brendan Dassey statements on the March 1st statement. They're unedited. Uh, they're just out there for people to make up their own mind. But on the unedited versions, you will see the change in um, uh, Agent Fossbender, as an example, when Brendan says, uh, you know, here's, here's what happened or here's what I saw. The next question, just like any other good interview, is an open-ended, well, tell me everything about that, okay? Gives a, a, a follow-up uh, inviting narrative. Well, tell us everything about that. And so Brendan does that, Alan. Brendan gives a narrative version about what happened, about the rape, about the murder, almost completely narrative in his own words, okay? Mm -hmm. So assume that that is in existence and that's shown to the jury and Brendan's jury convicts him because they see him in his own words telling what happened. Well, what happens, though, <laughs> Alan, is nobody's ever shown that. Nobody's ever shown that part of his statement, that part of his admissions. Well, you may say, well, the entire Brendan Dassey confession is on YouTube, let's say. It's on the Internet. You can find all four hours of his interview, and you can sit through four hours of, of his being questioned, and you can satisfy yourself, okay, now I've seen the whole confession. Here's the problem, Alan. Whoever put Brendan Dassey's confession on, a supporter of Brendan Dassey, I know who put it on, and had 500,000 people watch it. 500,000 people watched Brendan's complete interview and then sat back and said, now we're convinced that we saw the whole confession. Ken, you're wrong. He didn't admit being involved in rape or murder. How can you say that? And so my second video that I post, and that's on YouTube that I would invite people to look at, is the YouTube Brendan Dassey confession. The YouTube version, the official version, if you will, go watch the whole thing they're invited to do. Have your viewers start looking at that video, and at 11.55 a.m., when his admissions, remember his free narrative, 
what he did begin until 12.24 p.m. All right, so 30, mm-hmm. what is that, 30, let me go with my, with my, uh, <laughs> it's not a math show. <laughs> my, 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 my math thing, about, about, about 30 minutes, about 30 minutes of Brendan's confession is removed. It's completely edited out of the official version that 500,000 people watch online. So my second video shows you that, well, why would they remove all of his admissions? Who would remove all of Brendan Dassey's confession about the rape, the murder, the free narrative, that it's not in response to to leading questions, that it's not fed to him, that it's, it's a free narrative about what happened. Why wouldn't that be on... <laughs> the official the official confession well the answer should be obvious that somebody doesn't want you to see that Brendan actually confessed and so they take this YouTube version this YouTube uh, quote unquote full confession again 500,000 don't believe me go look online <laughs> 500,000 people watch this and a half hour where he says he did it has been removed Well, if that doesn't make you angry, if that doesn't make you jump up for somebody who just wants to see the the clips themselves and say, wait a second, you promised me that this was the full video, whoever you are that put this on here, and the place where he admits it, the place where he tells me he he raped and murdered this young woman, you've removed, and then, and then you people have the guts to say to me, well, Ken, you're lying because because it's clear that he never said those things. Well, it makes you want your head to explode. I mean, how how do you how do you combat that, Alan? How do you with what I've told you about making a murder, with what you now know about uh, uh, about the supporters not wanting you to see exactly what he said? Well, that at least has to make people pause and say uh, maybe there's more to this than uh, um, than than uh, Kathleen Zellner or the filmmakers or Jerry Buting or Laura Nyrider or anybody else who's participated in this uh, making a murderer gold mine has made uh, these filmmakers millionaires who's uh, certainly uh, advanced the careers of everybody else uh, that's involved from the other side of this case. Everybody that lost the case uh, has done very well, thank you. After um, after they've been shown uh, on these cases, the prosecution and the cops, however, the ones who were doing their job and simply presented the evidence, um, they've had their careers ended because of this. And if you can tell me that that's fair, Alan, uh, we're all set to we're all set to listen to you. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't think it is. I personally don't. Um, the other thing is um, right now there's. Um, there's certainly a lot of people that want to um, have something to hate uh, police for. Um, oh, yeah. Well, there we are. And, and that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's in the under, underlying part. One question I do have about it, but, is yeah. that um, when, when the two, Avery and Dassey, were, were both tried separately and convicted separately. Uh-huh. So... Now, on both cases, uh, there's a different storyline to how the murders happened. Like a lot of what Brendan Dassey said 
probably mm-hmm. probably didn't happen. Like 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 well, they did. You didn't. Like there was no DNA or anything found in the room where she was apparently tied to the bed and raped, and then they knifed her in the stomach and then dragged her. Um, so so let let me stop you. Okay. Yep. 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 Yeah. Um, because because it got to unpack like four things. There's four things that you mentioned here. The four complaints, and and you and you got to take them one at a time. Let's first talk about. Uh, there's no Brendan. DNA in the bedroom. Okay, that's a re- that's one of the biggest complaints that you see online now. Is well, nothing puts Brendan in that room uh, until there's some physical DNA evidence. I'm not going to believe his confession, which I think is nonsense. Because tell that to millions of rape victims that you needed some kind of physical evidence to prove that a rape happened. I want you to. I want. I want these these Me Too supporters to go online and to say. We're not going to believe a rape happened unless there's physical DNA evidence that proves it. But I, I, I digress. Um, so the the question is, what DNA would you expect to find? What would you expect to find in that room from from Brendan Dassey? Brendan Dassey was interviewed and and asked if he knew what the term ejaculate meant. He did, and they asked him if he ejaculated during the rape. He said, "No, I did not." So I got to ask you, what DNA would you expect to find there? What would you expect to find in, in in that bedroom? Well, the fact is, you talk to any CSI person, you wouldn't expect to find any of Brendan's DNA there, and that's exactly what they found. None of his DNA there. So what does that mean? Well, uh, not very much, um, because if you wouldn't expect it and you didn't find it, that that isn't, um, you know, that isn't that uh, 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 big of a deal. Uh, but what what they do what they do try to then convince you is the fact that there is no the absence of evidence the fact that there is no uh, DNA evidence that is found um, means something that the absence of evidence is just as strong as the presence uh, of other evidence which of course is not true uh, the absence of evidence doesn't mean anything it means that they didn't find anything either it doesn't mean it's there. Or, or, or that it's not there. It's just that it didn't add to the uh, add, add to the calculus. Okay, you understand it. So, mm-hmm. so the 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 that part of it, um, you know, isn't um, isn't all, all that noteworthy. You know, your your initial comment. There was a second part to it. A second complaint. About the uh, about about the evidence and what people are concerned about. If you could repeat that, then I can address that. So we well, what about what about what about Teresa Halbeck? You know, uh, why wouldn't her DNA be in there? Like if they if they really had raped her and sliced sliced her in the stomach Mm -hmm. and whatever, um, wouldn't there be a ton of blood and and stuff from her? So what? Right. So, So look at you know the only witness, if you will, that we have that is talking about what happened in that room is Brendan Dassey, right? Right. right. Uh, Stephen Avery is not, not telling you what happened. Right. Uh, Stephen Avery, by the way, cleaned that bedroom for four days before the cops got there. The day after Teresa Halbach is, um, is, is missing, and the day after Teresa Halbach, we learn now, is killed, Stephen Avery shampooing the carpets in his trailer. Now, you may not think that's a coincidence. You may not think that that is something that is something that would raise 
an eyebrow or two, but when he talks to his girlfriend Jody on the phone that week, he talks about rug doctoring all the carpets and rugs in 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 his trailer. And by the way, Stephen Avery's a filth. You know, he lives in in, in in filth and squalor. You've seen the photos of his garage. So the fact that he's scrubbing everything with bleach in his trailer, again, I don't mean to be, you know, <laughs> suspicious, but it's something that you may want to look at. Yet nobody that falls completely on deaf ears. And nobody says, well, I know he had four days to clean up. I know he admitted to shampooing the rugs. I know that he knows bleach kills DNA because he learned that his first time around. I know that they use a lot of bleach and paint thinner in the garage because it's splashed up on Brendan's jeans. And we have the, the, um, uh, the bleach stained jeans of Brendan that he turned over saying these are the ones when we were cleaning things up that got splashed on me. By the way, who says that's not physical evidence? They talk about, is there any physical evidence that corroborates what Brendan said? Well, his bleach stained jeans seem to be physical evidence. How about the, how about the, uh, uh, the rivets from the Daisy Fuentes jeans that, that, uh, Teresa Hallbach wore? And when Brendan Dassey said, after they carried her out to the garage, after they took her clothes off, they took all of those clothes and they put them on the fire, Brendan said. Brendan Dassey said, we, I, I put her clothes on the fire. So when they find the rivets to the jeans she was wearing that day, why isn't that physical evidence that corroborates it? Why is everybody screaming there's nothing that corroborates what what Brendan says? When Brendan says that Uncle Steve went under the um, the hood of the trunk and and later, after Brendan says that, they swab the hood latch and they find Stephen's DNA under the hood that isn't accessible from the outside of the car. Why isn't that shown in making the murder? You know, why isn't Teresa's phone and camera and PDA that's burned up in Stephen Avery's own personal burn barrel. Those all those electronics of Teresa that are found in Stephen's own burn barrel and he was shown, he was witnessed burning the afternoon of the thirty first, which you may think is a coincidence. Um, but because that evidence was shown to the jury and all of those electronics, her electronics are there at his house. Why doesn't making the murder tell you that? Why does it make your murder say, wait a second, there's no explanation for this. Stephen can't explain it. Uh, this planting theory certainly can't explain all these burned electronics in this, in this place that only, only Stephen Avery has access to. Uh, yet everybody, as I mentioned, Alan, at least it's the, it's the impression I get, everybody wants to ignore that. Everybody wants this confirmation bias that they have once they decide what happened in the case. Um, anything that uh, that they can uh, uh, throw shade on the uh, on the conviction and point to that uh, that that they think doesn't have an answer, which I've now told you every one of these things has an answer to. But the things that do prove him guilty, uh, why didn't they show those in making the murder? The answer is clear. It didn't fit their narrative. It didn't fit Stephen Avery. Poor Stephen Avery is uh, uh, you know has been attacked again. Let me just. Uh, you know, I, I, I ship topics, but these are these are such important in narrative that poor people just don't do very well. Stephen Avery paid two hundred and forty grand 
$240,000 to the two best lawyers in Wisconsin. You're going to tell me this was a poor person? You're going to tell me that the defense that they put on was something only poor people were able to afford? Are you kidding me? I've never heard of a lawyer other than this case making 240 grand uh, for a uh, uh, for a murder case of somebody that's not a CEO or something. Uh, you know, it's not uh, Bobby Durst or something. So the so the point is the narrative that Stephen Avery somehow poor or that he didn't have the representation. My goodness, that couldn't be any further from the truth. Yet people lap it up like it's being you know fed to them like uh, like ice cream. So yeah. um, those are some of my complaints. Alan, I know that we're running out of time here, and I appreciate uh, appreciate you letting me kind of uh, drone on and on. I hope that. What I've uh, what I've shown is that uh, uh, my book uh, coming out October 29th has a lot. In fact, has all of this information, including the two new chapters that attack the um, uh, the Kathleen Zellner um, allegations that she makes in Making Murder Two and uh, and elsewhere. Uh, and uh, and I'd appreciate uh, the opportunity. I mean, once this is released or as as that comes closer, as you get more feedback to, to be invited back, and maybe we can follow up on some of this stuff. For sure. And and before we go, the uh, what about the what do you think about the inmate, the current inmate that's uh, confessing to the murder? Well, uh, Captain Zellner put this fake offer out there, a hundred grand for anybody who uh, that leads to the uh, to the conviction of the real killer. Uh, by the way. Um, Alan, there's only one person that could collect that, and that was me. All right, yeah. I'm the one that presented the evidence that convicted the real killer. So, if she wants to write me a check, I'm I'm certainly I'm certainly available for that. But that fake offer to to invite you know these kooks to come forward to try to collect this thing is exactly what happened. It's predictable that it's it's foreseeable that this is exactly what's going to happen. You get some murderer. Um, who clearly said, I'm coming forward to collect this, this hundred thousand dollars. And so whatever he says, um, you know, in about uh, eight seconds, uh, you can prove that it, uh, he couldn't possibly have even been there, uh, that day. So that goes under the category of, um, you know, you get what you ask for, uh, attorney Zellner when you put uh, something like this out there and ask for crazy people to come forward. Well, when crazy people do come forward, don't look surprised. Well, you've said it. You, you've done it all. <laughs> now, how do people get a hold of you? Like, how, how is it you want people to uh, interact with you, and civilly, that is? Well, I'm not sure I do. I mean, oh. the, I don't mean to be rude about this, uh, about this Alan, but, but I've put everything I have in my book. Um, and I would ask that if they are willing to uh, to buy that, they can. Uh, I'm on Twitter, I guess, unfortunately, but it's a it's a place that people can uh, can access me directly. I'm willing, if uh, people are polite and they have a legitimate question, to answer them one on one. I've been doing that with dozens of people um, right now, and I'm 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 happy to do that as long as you're polite and as long as you're not attacking myself or, or or my family as part of your as part of your comments. I, uh, the the YouTube videos um, are available. Uh, I think uh, the book um, 
not only on Amazon but it, uh, is available uh, and will be available at uh, at at most bookstores. And so, uh, if people want to find me um, uh, and they legitimately have questions, I'm I'm sure that can happen. I appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. Ken Kratz has been our guest. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.